Welcome to The Land Scene. I'm Lucy Solis, and this is a program dedicated to the people of our city. I wanted to create a place for us to have authentic conversations about the inspired stories, opportunities, and resources available right here in our town. As someone who has spent a portion of my life in poverty, I was able to change my trajectory through the help and the resources available right here in our community. I am proof that when we unify, our city and its people can rise together. Welcome Capital City. This is Lucy with The Lansing, and I'm here with Justin Sheehan, the director of The Lansing Promise. Welcome, Justin. Thank you, Lucy. Um, so let's just dive right into it. So tell me, what is The Lansing Promise? Sure. Lansing Promise uh, is something we call a place-based scholarship for every kid that lives in schools within the Lansing School District boundaries. Or, is, or what we say is it started as a place-based scholarship. Mm-hmm. Always has been, always will be. But it's really a collection of folks through both boards and an entire community that believe in the inherent worth of every young person in this city. And so we invest accordingly. So when you see the, the people in the city, so are they part of the school district? Are they How, how are they connected with the students? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, at any given time, we've got connections with or we need to be working with teachers, students, mm-hmm. family, mm-hmm. parents, generally. I think when we talk about government, we talk about nonprofit, business leaders, uh, and community members. In other words, you know, and similar even to your intro, right? Mm-hmm. We rise together, right? Or we all fall apart, right? If every young person in this city is worth what we believe they're worth, mm-hmm. right? That that inherent worth, that God-given worth, that inability to do anything but excellence, then we as a community have a responsibility to walk with them uh, and to ensure that they have the resources, tools, and support necessary to build those brighter futures. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit about your tools and resources. Sure. We, we mentioned a scholarship, mm-hmm. and a scholarship is an important piece, mm-hmm. right? It reduces financial barriers to post-secondary success, mm-hmm. right? Which really means it encourages success after high school. But reality is our young people need to get to graduation first. Absolutely. Right? And mm-hmm. even when they get there, right, they also have to know what they're able to do. Mm-hmm. More importantly, their why, right? Their purpose. What do they put here on earth to do? Now I'm 40 years old and I'm slowly figuring that out. So (laughs) at 16, 17, 18, do they have it all figured out? No. But do they have an idea of where they could go? Yes. And do they understand there's a community that wants to walk with them? Yes. And I think more importantly, do they understand that finances don't necessarily have to be a barrier for that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, as you may be aware, there was this pandemic that took place for a couple of years. Despite that, we still saw hundreds of scholars set foot on college campus, right? When the numbers went down across the country, and our numbers, they didn't go up, Mm -hmm. uh, but we're already back to pre-pandemic levels. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing kids continue to internalize the fact that they are, in fact, capable, Mm -hmm. they are worthy, Mm -hmm. uh, and they are incredibly talented. Our kids are posting nation-leading persistence and retention rates year after year, Mm -hmm. We open the door for more kids to go to school in Lansing, and they not only are walking through that door, but they're doing it with success and with excellence, which is incredibly encouraging. So we're beginning to see that expectation change, mm-hmm. right? That, that, that was always the goal. But we also know something that we've learned in the last decade, that after $5 million of scholarship investment, leveraging millions more in state and federal aid, it ain't just about the money, right? It's about the community that's walking with them. Right. It's about food, clothes and shelter. Mm -hmm. It's about mental health, emotional and relational health. Mm -hmm. It's about mentoring. It's about community centers. It's about advocates one way or the other. Mm -hmm. It's about folks willing to 
change status quo or question status quo, right? Because sometimes where we've landed in this city and actually really in this country um, isn't great for everybody. And, and I only say that because the promise is a scholarship program. We're very much apolitical, right? But our goal is to short circuit poverty, mm-hmm. right? Because education leads to a strong career. Mm-hmm. A strong career leads to what we call family raising money, right? That's food, clothes, and shelter, right? Mm-hmm. It by definition alleviates homelessness. Mm-hmm. It by definition alleviates uh, food scarcity, right? When folks have a career they can really build on and, and a job is good. What happens that job is in a career that's of actual interest, right? Mm-hmm. Then kids are actually fed, they are filled, and they get to move forward. And, and sadly, I think most folks my age and older may or may not have a career that fills them, right? Yes, I agree. And so I think what we're doing is not only current work now, but this is generational work. We're actually working for our kids' kids, right, in, in this step. Because every step a kid takes, mm-hmm. the next generation gets to take another step. Okay, so so can I just back up for a second? Um, when you talk about the scholarships, is it just for certain colleges here in Lansing? Can they do a trade with that? How does the scholarship work for them? It's, it's a great question. Uh, right now, it's Lansing Community College, okay. a full ride to okay. Lansing Community College. It's mm-hmm. all books, all fees, uh, all tuition. That's so wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's good news. Mm-hmm. That, that's new. That's mm-hmm. new. We, we couldn't give a full ride before. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Michigan State University, mm-hmm. Olivet College, or Davenport University at $10,000 for the first two years. So that's $5,000 a year. And uh, Davenport and Olivet are actually coming with some matching dollars. And mm-hmm. we're in conversation with MSU uh, in the future to potentially do the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then actually the good news is we finally were able to open up to skilled trades. Now, skilled trades has always been going on at LCC. Their campus, especially their West Campus, is unbelievable. Absolutely. Right? So when skilled trades are happening, that's great. What we couldn't always help with, though, was mm-hmm. the course fees. So mm-hmm. the good news is because we can now help with course fees, we can be doing a lot more not only with skilled trades, with the fire and police academy work, mm-hmm. uh, but even into additional skilled trades programs like Mikey 23, mm-hmm. like IBEW, like plumbers and pipe fitters, like any HVAC work, right? When, we, when it comes to construction and skilled trades, we're now just uh, getting our foot in the door of how we can help our kids. Mm-hmm. And if that means it's a journeyman's program they don't need to pay, mm-hmm. then can we buy their tools? Or if it's a program they need to sit in a class for, mm-hmm. great. Then we'll help with class. I think it's great. I, I mean, I think this is wonderful. And I, and I love how you talked about um, those who struggle, right? I struggled with food insecurity. A lot of us have struggled. I wasn't, be able, I wasn't able to afford college or a lot of things at certain times in my life because I had to put food on the table as a single mom. That's right. I know there's a lot of people in that community like That's that. Right. And it sounds like you're helping the disadvantaged communities. So how do you get that information out to those disadvantaged communities? Mm, Lucy, you might just hit the million-dollar question. Uh, here, here's what we know. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, we were told promise is the best kept secret in the city. I came on at the end of 2015, and our goal was to make it less than the best kept secret in the city. We get between uh, 60 and 75 percent of the graduating class every year mm-hmm. applying for the promise. Mm-hmm. So we know that there are some pieces working. There's some saturation. But Lucy, what you just laid out to me, I think, is what our work is going to really need to focus on mm-hmm. over the next few years. Right? We're just making sure that the parents the caregivers, the single mamas, right, who are looking their baby in the eye and they're working hard just to make sure there's food on the table, Mm -hmm. that these mamas can know and that all the parents and caregivers can know that there is a scholarship waiting for their kids. Because I'm not going to talk about something with my kids that I can't provide them. That's just reality as Mm -hmm. a father, Mm -hmm. right? And I can only give what I got, right? So if Mm -hmm. I'm having a rough go, if I'm having some deep down depression times, Mm -hmm. which as you know, I've had, Mm -hmm. right? I'm not as good of a dad. 
I'm not as present, and I certainly can't be thinking about the future when I'm trying to figure out right now. Exactly. Right. And what we want our young people to be able to understand and really our parents of our future scholars to be able to understand that if our if your child lives in Lansing, mm -hmm. goes to a school within the Lansing School District boundaries, that's public, private, home, charter or GED, and they graduate and they're eligible for the promise at one of those institutions. Now, to our parents of kindergartners, we got more programs coming by the time they're graduating. Mm -hmm. But even if we didn't, we'll be walking with them, giving them career exploration opportunities, college visits. They'll be meeting folks who look like them in various career fields over the next 12 years. Mm -hmm. They'll be understanding how the money works and how saving of those funds works. Mm -hmm. And actually how every kid in our district up through eighth grade right now and uh, adding year after year has a children's savings account or a college savings account in their name through the Lansing Save Program, right? Yeah, I work with the Lansing Save Program. Exactly right. So we've got more than 8,000 children's savings accounts specifically set aside for success after high school. That money pairs with, doesn't get impacted by, pairs with the promise. So now all of a sudden we can have scholarship funds for our kids. Every kid can have an associate's degree if they want one. They can have a certificate if they want one. It doesn't mean we're going to give them one. It means they got to work for it, right? I mean, there is something we talk about often, I think, around the post-secondary work and even nationally. Are we making clear that this is actually hard work for our kids, right? Now, that's not necessarily in the promise mm -hmm. space. That's in the everywhere space. Mm -hmm. I, I hear a lot of folks complain about student debt, which is high. Yep. It's astronomically high. But the student debt issue is not seen as an investment in their future. It's seen as only a burden because... Folks were told, you go to school, you get a good job, you pay your bills, right? Not, not learning or understanding that it is what you make it, mm -hmm. right? And there are no jobs just waiting for you, right? You got to make your own way. And I think we have often set kids up for failure in that way. And when I say we, I just mean the community as a whole to say, well, if you do these three things, everything's going to be okay, mm -hmm. right? But what we know is you're going to have to hustle. You're going to fail and failure is going to sharpen you. You're going to have to get up. You have to do it again, right? And when you fall down, you got to get up. When I fall down, I got to get up. When you fall down, I need to help you up and vice versa, right? Because that's called community. And I think something that we're continuing to push at the promise more and more is that value and importance of relationships in community, mm -hmm. right? Because success, there is no vacuum in which success after high school happens. There is education and classroom work. Mm -hmm. Of course there is, mm -hmm. right? There is skilled trades, earn while you learn work. But there's also relationships and life, mm -hmm. right? And uh, parents and siblings and cousins and neighbors and friends uh, and transportation and healthcare and rent. All those factors affect GPAs. Absolutely. And, and we don't always think through that uh, or, or I think give enough credit to the fact that there's always a lot of life going on. It's life, exactly. In all of our, in all of our lives, right? right? But especially in our kids' lives, mm -hmm. in our scholars' lives. And I think what we're going to be doing over the next few years is not only communicating that to our, to our students currently, mm -hmm. to our future students to make sure the expectation is accurate, that they know there's resources available, but also communicate to the parents mm -hmm. in the district. Because the reality is we've got 10,000 kids in the district. That's 10,000 future scholars as far as I'm concerned. Right. So as we plan our numbers for that, what we also have to ensure mm -hmm. is that our parents know what's available for their kids. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think we're going to be working with the district, with the city, with nonprofit organizations. Uh, and actually, we're building something called the Parent Council for that exact reason. Whew. 
Sorry, I'm <laughs> yeah, running out of breath. No, that's okay. So, so can I interrupt you? Have a Absolutely. Question? So um, you talked about the debt, right? Mm-hmm. My daughter graduated yeah. like two years ago, and she doesn't want to go to college. She does not want a debt. Sure. I was a single mom. No. They don't have the, you know, big savings account, you know, right. saved for them. So what happens if a student graduates from school and has a gap year or waits a couple of years and then decides to go? Is that still something you offer? Yeah, Do they is. have to be right out of high school? It's a, it's a great question. So okay. it used to be one year. Now it's a two-year window to apply for the scholarship okay. uh, after graduation. And then from there, they have four years to actually use it. Okay. So we do build in some gap years. Now, and here's the other reality. When we get a call from a kid who says, I've been out for three years, I was working, I finally figured out what I want to do, can I go? Of course you can go. We're going to make it work. Mm-hmm. Right? So if, if folks listen to this have that situation mm-hmm. where they know someone, mm-hmm. have them give us a call mm-hmm. or drop us an email and we'll figure it out. What we want the majority of our students to do is keep moving forward in whatever that means. Right. right. If that means take a gap year. OK. Mm-hmm. Take a gap year. Some of us taking a few. That's right. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't take a gap decade. Because <laughs> right. number one, we can't afford to project for that to figure right. out what that's going to cost. Right. But number two, this is also about trajectory. Mm-hmm. Right. So taking a couple of years. OK. OK. But moving forward is critical. It's critical. And what we always tell our students is it's OK to learn what you don't want to do. That's OK. But then you got to move again. Right. So you take a step. You say, ah, that's not really the work I want to do adjust and take the next step, Okay. right? We can't just fall off and say, ah, this is too hard. Of course it's hard. Well, speaking of being hard, so what, I'm thinking the criteria, is there like a certain GPA? Is there, what is the criteria to apply for this? Live, attend, and graduate. Okay, because you're going to get some kids that just aren't the best at school, right? Mm-hmm. They're not good at testing. They're not sure. good, you know, but they're great with their hands and want to do trades. And I would say I was one of those. Yeah. I just didn't know well. what the trades were. Yeah, <laughs> as well. I didn't know them Because that's what I was thinking of these kids. Yeah. Sometimes it's intimidating to apply for scholarships because you think sure. you have to meet a certain GPA or you have to sure. write an essay. Sure. And if they want to go, like you said, into, uh, you know, HVAC or, right. you know, pipe fitting, is that communicated to them so they understand that it's the scholarship, you don't have to you know, write this long essay and you don't have to have a 4.0? So it's a good question. So is it communicated by our counselors, uh, pathfinders, and college advisors? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, do our kids always hear it? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I Did actually you? don't know. I never really listened to my counselor. No, no. Yeah, Should I have? Yes. <laughs> yeah, me as yes. well. Yeah. I mean, what's the rule of marketing, right? It takes seven times, right? So kids need to be hearing this. But I mean, our goal in this, right, is that we have spoken to kids every year from kindergarten through 12th grade about the promise and about their futures mm-hmm. to the degree that by the time I walk into the senior year, my goal is then to say, oh, we already know about the promise. And then I say, tell me about the promise and tell me what you're going to do with it. Mm-hmm. And then they tell me and I leave. And that'll be my entire speech. Right. That, that's really our goal. We want kids to be so inundated and so absorbed into this thing mm-hmm. that the expectation of success after high school isn't even a question. Mm-hmm. The only the question isn't if I go somewhere and do something, it's when I go, where am I going to go and what am I going to learn? Which m- maybe sounds like semantics, but that's fundamentally a shift in how we as a community think. Mm-hmm. So one of, one of the things I've come across in the community that, that worries me are the ones from the disadvantage neighborhoods and households um, that have dropped out of school or have gotten suspended or don't have the best home life and not thinking that's there. Is there a way, you know, me being a part of the community or is there a way we can help to get that out to those disadvantaged households Mm. if they're not in school? I mean, is there a mailing? Is there, is it on social media? I mean, I'm just trying to think how we reach. I mean, I think it's going to be by every way possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, does social media work for some? Mm Mm-hmm. Do mailings work 
for some. Mm-hmm. We, we actually used to do mailings, and sometimes we'd get about half of them back, right? Because reality is we got folks who are moving a lot. I think it's good, too, how you'd mentioned that you work with nonprofits because a lot of nonprofits mm-hmm. meet those, right. that group of kids. That's right. You know, because a lot right. of them feel lost. That's exactly right. Well, and, and losing we, hope. That, yeah, well, and you just nailed it, Lucy. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the reality is, and this is from a, a colleague of mine by the name of Jose Moore, who runs All the Above Hip Hop Academy. He's worked with kids for many oh, years. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And he said, Justin, hopelessness breeds recklessness. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I we like see that. we see gun violence and we see gun deaths. Mm-hmm. Right. We see young men getting in, in trouble and getting in and out of things. Mm-hmm. The reality is every child is going to get into something. Every young man is going to get into something. What we need are more positive men in the community doing something about it. Mm-hmm. Right, Dr. Carl Taylor, a phenomenal sociology professor at MSU, foremost authority in youth and gang culture in the entire country, mm-hmm. said very clearly to me when I was on Baker Street some 15 years ago, no, maybe 17 years ago now, he said, Justin, every act of a young man is condoned by an older man. So blessed by mm-hmm. is exampled by is set for expectation of and so there Wise are words. a ton of organizations doing incredible work mm-hmm. in the city right now today. Mm-hmm. And what we as a community have the privilege of doing mm-hmm. is to support them. Right? There are a lot of good men in this city right now working to set modes and models and to help mold the hearts and minds of young men in this city. What we as a community don't often do well is support those organizations for, for all kinds of reasons. For all kinds of reasons, because number one, small organizations, especially grassroots organizations, especially black and brown led organizations, mm-hmm. historically and across the country are underfunded for the work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that's why we work with several incredible organizations, because we know, I know, Justin, white boy, 40 year old can walk into a classroom and I can talk to kids and they'll know I care about them by the mm-hmm. time they're done. What I can't explain to them is how to have an experience and navigate the life as a black or brown male. That's not my experience. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can walk in and speak to an experience that I have not had. And that's critically important because that's what real representation is. Well, that's what kids want to see. Someone who looks like them. Come on. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Because if you can see it, you can be it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And so representation really, really matters. Not this DEI. I mean, I don't want to discount DEI, but as soon as it got acronymed, right, it became a buzz term. What we want is real representation Right. And real equity. I agree. I remember I went um, to Fairview and they had police and fire. Everett used to have this thing called the fun machine. Sure. I don't know if you remember that. And uh, they would have police and fire at the school. And I was like, how cool. But I never saw a female, nor did I ever see anybody look like me. So I never thought I could be one. Same with school teachers. Most of my school teachers never looked like me. Sure. Growing up. So representation is very, very impactful. I mean, it, it really, really matters. And and we need to be clear, too, that it's also not tokenism. Exactly. Right? Because tokenism is actually the reverse of that. Tokenism is actually damning. Right? But this concept of true representation means that when a young person sees someone that looks like them or has their same cultural experience. In my experience, I've learned that folks rolling out of the same neighborhood have infinitely more in common, typically, right, than those who don't. Right. So at least if it's geographical and that's what's powerful, actually, about the Lansing promise, because we don't raise soft kids in Lansing. Right. Every kid I've met in Lansing, they're dope and they're tough. And I love it. My, my kids included. They, we don't raise soft kids in our house. Right. They're not allowed to be. Right. But it turns out in order for kids to be successful, mm-hmm. they can't be soft because this world is not soft. Right. And that doesn't mean we're harsh or cruel or mean, but it does mean we're building resilient children in this city. Because we all have risk factors, mm. all of us. Right. And that's what I was just going to say. Some of them are 
soft, but are delicate. Yeah, it's on good their work. home on their home life. That's you know what work. I mean? Like I was just delivering meals on Baker Street last weekend, mm. and you know there were some homes I came across that for sure. some kids are definitely delicate, and for sure this would be great information. That's right. That's them. right. Well, and know. and I think you know the question that we have to really ask is not only can the communication be made. I mean, I've been a part of committees and councils for the last twenty plus years in this city in this county, talking about this kind of work. Right. Mm-hmm. It's one thing for a resource to be available. It's another thing for a resource to be communicated to, mm-hmm. right? So a family learns about a resource. But it is a third thing, and actually I think arguably the most important, for someone to actually feel engaged and to either feel ownership or as though they are worthy of those exactly. resources. Exactly. And, and I think I, I don't know what that looks like yet. I mean, we, we've had a lot of folks who have said, I wasn't going to go to school except for the promise. That's beautiful. That is. That's beautiful, right? But you asked a really important question, which is, what about the kids that dropped out already? What about those we missed, mm-hmm. right? The young men who have been gunned down in this city in the last two years, they should have all been Promise Scholars. We missed every single one of them. We messed that up. That's a hard pill to swallow. That's not we're the saviors. We're going to come in and really be some kind of salvation or savior as a scholarship program. But it is to say that we had a role to play to ensure that hope was springing forth. Mm-hmm that the opportunity and success after high school was an expectation. And we didn't get there yet. Now, are there counselors and teachers and parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and community members and uh, folks in the faith community and everywhere in between working their tails off to reach these kids? Of course there are. Absolutely. Of course there are. We have a great community. And we as a community need to continue, Mm -hmm. if we're not those folks on the ground, to continue to ask, how can we help? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And not assume that we know how we can help. Right. And that's been an important thing through, I think, through a lot of the work that's happened over the last couple of years. It's not the question of I know the answer to this. It's I, Justin Sheehan, need to ask. I don't know the answer to this, but how can I help? What part can I do? Absolutely. And, and to create that comfort for the kids to say, to come to you or that's to right. come to whoever. To create right. that. Yeah, I think that's important. That's right. Wow. I think it's awesome. You know, I came from a disadvantage household. And in my experience, there's more disadvantages, more, more disadvantaged households than, I don't know, as society deems normal. I don't know. I can't, I raised, I was raised in a non-traditional household sure. and I raised my kids in a non-traditional sure. household. And I feel when I'm out there in the community, that's what we serve. And I feel these kids, this resource is great for them. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and delivering meals, I'm not like picking on one neighborhood, but as I'm throughout the city and mm-hmm. you come across this, this would be great information to share with them yeah. and to let them know because they do ask. That's right. You know, and then sometimes they just don't know the right questions or the right person or the right resources to go to. That's right. Or and again, even mm-hmm. if they've heard them, they either mm-hmm. haven't heard them enough mm-hmm. or sometimes we haven't heard things from a trusted source. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's one and thing. And it takes time to build trust. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And, and trust is earned only. It's one thing to have a brochure that has some information, which is not a bad thing. That's a very good thing because mm-hmm. that's one piece of the puzzle. But reality is trusted relationships. Mm-hmm. Those are what change things, right? right? Word of mouth, uh, one parent saying to another parent, this is where we got our food last week. Because there's also a lot lot of feelings of either heartache or uh, frustration or shame or concern or a lack of pride or feeling too much pride around a lot of the topics that affect educational success. Mm -hmm. Right? When we talk about um, literacy rates or the comfort with reading generally. I think often we've been, we've been told, well, they're just 
X, Y, and Z rates are low, and then X, Y, and Z rates are low, and therefore we aren't sure what to do, and poverty is really tough. Let's reverse that. Poverty is really tough. Mm -hmm. Poverty does take with it mm -hmm. a lot of things that it does not deserve to take, right? It does take with it hope often. Uh, I think often people in poverty don't see themselves as valuable as they are. I think oh, I, I often, totally agree. I think often people don't see the the strengths they do bring to the table. Yeah, when you talk about reading, I struggled as reading. I still do at times. For Sometimes sure. I catch myself and For I was sure. embarrassed to read out loud. Mm -hmm. And because I struggled with that, I had to, you know, I have special lessons. Sure. Um, sure. You don't feel smart enough mm -hmm. to get a scholarship. You know, you were embarrassed right. even to ask, like, right. if I can't even read in class, how am I ever going to qualify for a scholarship? That's right. So That's how do right. we help... I know they have the Pathfinders, which yep. are phenomenal. Okay, yep. Is that right, Pathfinder? Yep. Yeah, yep. they are phenomenal. Um, and I know I know they work closely with the kids. That would, I would assume, be a resource for those students that struggle it, with the reading to let is. them know that this is available. That's right. And the district's doing a lot when it comes to literacy work. Mm -hmm. that, that isn't fully talked about, right, right. For, for lots of right. reasons. Right. Well, I was going back to the shame thing, right? Mm -hmm. I was too shameful to ask That's that. Right. So how do we pick out those kids? That's a good question. I mean, do you know what I mean? One, like, teachers... Tend to know. That's what I was thinking, yeah, with the Pathfinders. Um, and, and so that's that's really important. Mm -hmm. I think one of the questions, though, that we're going to be asking sort of across the city is what could we as a community do to ensure that our parents, mm -hmm. number one, feel mm -hmm. supported, right? We can only give what we got. Right. I can tell you there are many nights that mm -hmm. I don't read to my kids because I'm exhausted. Yes, I understand. And I can tell you that there have been times where I felt very a uh, great deal of shame for that. Mm -hmm. I feel guilty. Right. Mm-hmm. So what happens if you're working three jobs and trying to make ends meet? Then trying to put school on top of that. Come on. That's right. I know. <laughs> That's yeah. right. So, Been there. So, it, so the question isn't whether our parents are working hard mm -hmm. and our caregivers are working hard. The question is how do we as a community rally around and support, right? And so it's a question we're going to be asking teachers this year. Mm -hmm. How could we as a community support? It's a question we're going to be asking the administrators, right? Ben Sheldoner, superintendent. Phenomenal. He, he has phenomenal. a heart for these kids. Yes, right? he does. The folks in the district, the teachers, the, the counselors, everyone in between working their tails off for our kids. Anyone that says they aren't, they don't know. Mm -hmm. They don't know. Does that mean they're perfect? No. No. Everyone would be the first to say, oh, well, they're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We're not perfect. Sure. But we're putting the effort in. It's time. To, yeah, it's mm -hmm. exactly right. And mm -hmm. it's time to recognize who's mm -hmm. got what going already. Mm -hmm. And how do we as a community come together to ensure that our future promised scholars, all 10,000 of them, have the resources, tools, and support necessary to build that brighter future for themselves, for their family, and for their community. Right? We have a vested interest in their success. But Justin, aren't you guys a scholarship program? Yeah. But you're more than that. But we're a scholarship program who, when it was started a decade ago, mm -hmm. made an, a decision that we we're going to take an active role mm -hmm. in the success of our future scholars. And so it's not wait and see. It, it's a go and get. Now, that said, we're real lean and mean in staffing, <laughs> right? So this is all about partnerships, mm -hmm. right? It's working with the city and mm -hmm. the district and the chamber and nonprofit organizations across the city mm -hmm. uh, and community partners and parents and anyone else that believes like we believe. So let, let me ask you a question. So how would one get involved? Let's say they want to help with the students. How could, do you, Can they volunteer? Can they get on a committee? I mean, how does that work? So we've got more and more opportunities coming mm -hmm. up daily. Okay. Uh, so they could just go to lansingpromise.org okay. and drop us a line, give us a call, drop us an email at info at lansingpromise.org and, and let us know uh, where your heart's at. And here's, here's the coolest part. We know a whole lot of organizations and we're working with the district. 
So if there's yeah, I, I hear Lansing who, Promise everywhere. That's good. All the time when I'm out in the good. community. Yeah. That's a good thing. And that is a good thing. Um, because it's not me. I mean, that's the nice part, mm-hmm. right? Like this is community, mm-hmm. right? This is what started in 2001, actually, with the concept of the Hope Scholarship, which we now operate and run, had turned into the Lansing Promise 10 years ago, right? We've got 1,700 kids who've already set foot on a college campus. 1,700. More than 600 have already completed. Mm -hmm. More than 60,000 credits earned. Like these babies are not playing around, right? When I say they're nation leading, they are nation leading in retention and persistence rates out of Lansing. That doesn't surprise me, by the way. That's our expectation, right? Our kids are incredibly talented in this city. The question is, have we as adults done enough to say that we were a part of that, right? Mm -hmm. That that's part of our challenge. I think in a lot of ways, we've got 10 years down with the promise. We're going to get 50 more at least, right, mm-hmm. which is two generations from now. So we should be worrying about our scholars, kids, and almost grandkids. That's why we're doing this work, right? We talk about generational transformation, mm-hmm. and it's not to say that, again, that we are the only piece of it. We are a piece of a much larger puzzle that right. takes grassroots organizations and takes real effort and takes folks willing to be uncomfortable and to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because none of us have all the answers. None of us do. No. Wow. This is, I, I, I can't tell you, this is just phenomenal. So just to summarize, yep. all kids. All kids. Two years after school, after graduation, they can apply. That's right. Any field. Any field. At the, what is it, Lansing Community College, LCC, Olivet. MSU, MSU, Olivet, Davenport. Davenport, and Skilled Trades. And Skilled Trades. And they've got four years to use it. Four years to use it. And then your contact information again. Uh, LansingPromise.org. It's the easiest way to get to see us. All right. I cannot thank you enough. Thank Thank you you so much for all that you do. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to The Land Scene. Music for The Land Scene provided by Joystack. For more information, go to joystack.org. To listen to this episode and others on demand, visit lccconnect.org. If you have a story to share or would like to be a guest on the show, let me know. I'm Lucy, and thanks once again, Capital City. It means so much to me to have the support of our community. Remember, when unified, our city and its people can rise together. Connected with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. If you're considering returning to school, exploring career options, or needing support in life transitions, Lansing Community College has the Adult Resource Center available to qualified students. The Adult Resource Center staff provides one-on-one appointments, registration assistance, referrals to community and campus resources, tuition and childcare grants, academic advising, and other helpful tools to help with your educational career. To find out more information, visit lcc.edu and search Adult Resource Center. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A Teenager, Learning the Lingo. Today, I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, 
I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. We're celebrating one year of LCC Connect, Lansing Community College's first podcast platform dedicated to keeping you connected with LCC and your community. Catch the vibe by visiting us at lccconnect.org and then click on the Celebrate tab to check out photos, videos, and find out how you can get involved. We are LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Founded in 1957, LCC has addressed the needs of Michigan industries through education for more than 65 years. Anchored by the downtown campus located in the heart of Lansing, LCC serves mid-Michigan communities with additional campuses in Delta Township, East Lansing, and Livingston County. The college offers more than 200 degrees and certificate programs and is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Those interested in learning more about LCC may visit lcc.edu slash youbelong. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. You're listening to LCC Alumni Stories, a show dedicated to highlighting the amazing alumni of Lansing Community College. I'm Steve Robinson, president of LCC, and on each episode I have the awesome privilege of getting to know one of our many inspiring alums and hearing about their experiences at and since leaving LCC. The LCC alumni community is expansive and far-reaching. They're an incredibly diverse group of people, representative of all walks of life, working in hundreds of industries across the country. LCC Alumni Stories shines a bright light on alumni who make positive contributions to their communities and showcases those who've overcome obstacles and barriers to achieve academic and personal success. These are their dynamic stories. My guest today is Paul Molnar, who studied theater at LCC from 1991 to 1993 before transferring to the University of Michigan. He's currently the Director of Theater Performance and Associate Professor of Theater at Independence Community College. Welcome to the show, Paul. I'm glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm really, I'm really thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled that you're here. And you know, before we talk about your alumni journey and, and, your, and your long journey back here to mm-hmm. what you're doing now... You're doing something really exciting. You are artist in residence with our theater department right now. Tell me a little bit about that. What are you doing here with our theater students and faculty? Yeah, so I was had a, some conversation with Kevin, who's the director of uh, the production of Romeo and Juliet. Right, right. And I was asked if I would be willing to come and participate, um, not only in the production, but doing some workshops in the community and, and uh, working with, with the students here. And I was so excited to be able to have this opportunity to come back uh, to a place that, that launched my entire uh, future. I can't wait to talk about <laughs> how your future was launched here. But I, I, I want to linger over this key fact right here. Our students and our theater program in this production of Romeo and Juliet are really benefiting from a long career in professional theater. Not only are you a professor of theater, you've been in a lot of productions and you've got... 
a, a ton of experience. Tell me a little bit about your background in the theater. Sure. So after graduating uh, from University of Michigan, mm-hmm. I moved to New York City. Right. And I lived and worked there for 20 plus years. Wow. Uh, and that career took me not only various places in New York, but regionally, um, you know, different companies that I worked with, Shakespeare companies and uh, straight plays and musicals and just went all over. So I've had a really wonderful uh, uh, career in in New York. And the thing that's the most exciting, I think, coming back here mm-hmm. and being able to work with these students is to is to be able to see where I was at that point and and then and and being the person in the room that has, you know, twenty years gone by and and sort of because I believe that that theater is an apprenticeship, right? I really I really think that 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 you learn from the people who have gone before. Uh-huh. That's certainly the way that I learned as a as an actor. Uh-huh. And so it's it's a real privilege to be able to to work alongside these students um, and help them create. Uh, uh, this work. Well, what an incredible opportunity for our theater students, because I was going to say, I imagine if I was a theater student, but I don't have to because I started college as a theater student. If an artist in residence acting and plays in New York City came and was in a show with Mm -hmm. me, I I just can't imagine the amount of experience you're going to impart to our students during this production of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. You know, I, I have found it to be refreshing the 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 energy that the young mind brings out onto the to the rehearsal floor and and just the energy that they're cre- it's infectious you know as someone who's who's had a few years you know um, to see that kind of youthful uh, invigoration and and sort of fearlessness mm-hmm. of approaching the text is really refreshing for me well and I, I was really interested in you referring to theater as an apprenticeship. So so this is a great example of learning by doing, mm-hmm. right? And our students who maybe many of them, this will be probably their first Shakespeare production. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not yours. And so being a fellow actor in a company with that kind of diversity of experience just has to be an incredible learning environment. It is. And, and, you know, I think one of the things that, that comes to life in the rehearsal process, one thing that I didn't know when I was younger was, um, you know, quite how to be able to say, you know what, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know how to solve this moment. And encouraging the students to be able to say, you know what, I don't know. Let's look it up. Mm-hmm. Let's do some research. Let's talk about what the moment is about instead of feeling like you have to come up with a final performance on the very first day of rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Th- that's what I mean about it, it being a process and, yeah. and learning from the people who've gone before. I certainly have to still look up words. And, and even though I've done, I think I've done, I, I counted it. Um, I've done Romeo and Juliet uh, either as an actor or as a fight director 14 times. 14 productions. 14 productions of Romeo and Juliet. So wow. I, so I have, you know, I've done the play a lot yeah. and I still go back and I'm like, what is that moment about? I know in this production we did this and that production we did that, but what's the, what is it in this new environment? You know, so that's what's interesting to me and, and exciting. That's got to be really, I, I can only imagine, very helpful for students because so many of them, the, this, the Renaissance uh, uh, drama, that prose, what the the lines they read has to be so foreign to them in many ways. Mm-hmm. But to know that even a veteran actor who's done the play fourteen times mm-hmm. still has to think about interpretation, the the meaning of words, and of course we know you know from Shakespeare 
many of the lines in plays like Romeo and Juliet are are deliberately ambiguous, meant to be taken multiple ways and, sure. and can be performed so many different ways. Absolutely. And especially, you know, you look at where we are right now in 2022, um, you know, there's, you know, Romeo and Juliet is really sort of a play about these two rival families. Right. Yeah. Right. I mm -hmm. mean, fundamentally, you have something that has been running through the current of our society very much you know, right now, politically and all that kind of stuff. So, so even if you're, even if you're, you're not doing it in a, either a modern dress or perhaps you know in period dress, the core values, the core ideas of the play are still relevant, right, uh, to this day. So that's that's really fun. Well, the play has such staying power, and uh, I can't wait to see what you and the students do uh, with it. Now, before we talk about your time here as a theater student, mm -hmm. you mentioned that in addition to uh, playing a key role in the play and working with the students, you'll also be doing the choreography fight direction. Tell me a little bit about what goes into uh, making a convincing combat scene in a play like Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, so so the biggest thing for me whenever I deal with stage combat or, or any kind of violence that's being told on stage mm -hmm. uh, it is you, you got to figure out what the story is. Okay. Right? What, what, what's the purpose of the, the conflict? Interesting. And until you understand what that purpose is, um, you, you sort of just spin your wheels a little bit and you maybe just come up with some interesting choreography that looks cool. Yeah, otherwise it's just a visual show. Uh, but what you're talking about is there's some key storytelling. What's the, what's the conflict at the core of this combat? Yeah, absolutely. And especially in Romeo and Juliet, you know, specifically the, the sword fight between Mercutio and Tybalt, two very different types of characters. Okay. And one of the things that I really try to do whenever I choreograph something is I really try to talk to the actors and say what... What is what's what's going on with your character in this moment? Mm -hmm. How do, what do you want? What do you need? Because if we can get the the choreography, the moves mm -hmm. to be to come from the character, right? It's going to empower that actor uh, to be able to act it in a more thorough way, and we're going to just tell a better story. Right, right. So thinking back to my theater days, that would be about that actor's motivation as a character, yeah, right? Yeah. And what I'm hearing you say is that in addition to just um, being part of the story, there is a fight, mm -hmm. um, There, this is really propelling where the characters are going mm -hmm. and how they interact with each other. Yeah. You know, uh, let me ask a kind of a layperson's question about stage combat. Can it be dangerous? Are there, way, are there ways that you can uh, ensure the safety of your actors when you're choreographing these scenes? It absolutely can be dangerous, which is why it needs to be choreographed. And, you know, one of the, one of the dangers is I think sometimes when we, you know, when actors think, oh, I'm doing a fight, they think, oh, I've really got to, you know, I know I'm not going to maybe make contact with the person, but I'm going to I'm going to really throw my body into it. And so the challenge is to to allow um, the actor to feel the the freedom of movement mm -hmm. while restraining it. I, 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 I talk about it as a as a as a violent dance. Wow. It's a physical dialogue, but the dialogue has to be there. Right. It's not just an improvised uh, uh, throwing of blades around. OK. And and one thing built into what I hear you saying is that it's probably not designed to be seen right up close. It's not like a movie. The audience is seeing this from 15, 20 feet back. Yes. And it has to read as a fight, but it doesn't have to really be a fight. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, with film, <laughs> 
film is in some ways is is easier because you have the lens of the camera. Got it. Right, and you can dictate sort of where the that eyeball is going to be viewing the violence. Oh. But when you're on stage, you have a, a a broader span of the audience, so you have to take into account where all of those people are going to be watching this the violence. Well, and particularly with Shakespeare, where you're often in the round or at least three court, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, are, where are you performing uh, Romeo and Juliet? Where are we doing this? So it'll be in the courtyard out uh, at okay, the so center outdoor. of campus. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it'll be, it'll be a, a nice kind of three quarter. So, so not exactly a proscenium, but certainly not in the round, but enough where yeah. there'll, there'll be multiple view. You can't, you can't hide the fact that there isn't contact with right. the lens is what I hear you say. Absolutely. Oh, I'm so, so excited that our students get to work with you on this. So one of the things about your career, um, you know, you, you, you did all this theater in New York. You've, you've performed Shakespeare so many times. But it sounds like that started for you right here at LCC. How did you come to LCC? It did, well, you know, I came to uh, Lansing Community College because I was uh, dating someone who was going to Michigan State. Ah, and instead of having a long-term relation, I was going to North Central Michigan College up. Sure. Because I'm, I'm from Boyne City originally. Okay, yeah. So, I know Boyne City and I know Nuckmuck really oh, well. Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good. The fighting ferrets. <laughs> Although I think they've changed their name now. I, I think so. <laughs> but but yeah, it's a, a, a great school in a beautiful part of the world. Absolutely. So I, I transferred down to LCC okay. um, to be in a closer proximity with, with someone I was dating at mm -hmm, the time. Mm -hmm. And I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. Okay. I was taking some criminal justice classes, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some other sort of things. And then I took this improv class and I thought, oh, well, that'll be an easy, easy A for me. <laughs> you know, I'll just be a class clown, whatever. And, and what happened is I started to meet some of the people in the theater department. Um, Penny Owen, who uh, was, the, was the head of theater at that time. Mm -hmm. um, I, I took the class with her and then she recommended that I take another class and another class. And it just, it just clicked with me. It just felt like this is what I should be doing. Um, so it was very exciting. I, I, I took as many theater classes as I could. And it was at that time that, that University of Michigan was just launching their BFA program for the first time. Okay, at, in theater. At, yeah, in theater, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so I was in the second class mm -hmm. of uh, the BFA theater program at University of Michigan. So I transferred there and went on and got a scholarship and, and did really well there and then moved to New York. So. so I love stories like that because not every community college transfer uh, ends at a, a neat demarcation line of two years with an associate degree. We get really excited when our students take off and maybe uh, get to a transfer destination early. So it sounds like, you know, you took a bunch of classes here, but you're, you, you really got into a baccalaureate program, that BFA program mm -hmm. down the road in Ann Arbor pretty quickly. Like how many, how many shows did you do here at LCC? I did, I think, boy, looking back, maybe maybe three or four okay, great. shows before going. Well, that's enough to get momentum, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it was really the classroom that, that, that changed my life here. The training that happened, the realignment, I'll call it, mm -hmm. of my focus as a student, mm -hmm. that's what shifted. Wow. Wow. And so, and, and I've heard this from a lot of uh, community college transfer students. Tell me about your experience uh, going into that BFA program with classes under your belt from here 
as compared to maybe some of your classmates who started off right there when they were freshmen? Well, the, the biggest difference was I felt like the training that I got here mm-hmm. set me up uh, to succeed uh, in a in a in a in a better way than than I would have been able to do if I somehow miraculously had gotten into University of Michigan out of high school like right away yeah so why it, what 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 was the difference it ta- I learned how to be a student here and I think and it, for me mm-hmm. someone who struggled a little bit in high school uh-huh. um, I, I I was taught how to be a student. Wow. Wow. T- tell me a little bit more about that. So when you, you, you learned to be a student, you were taught to be a student, what does that mean? What did I, you learn? So I learned to be on time. I learned to do the homework. I learned that the, the work that happened in the classroom was not the only work you had to do. All of the other stuff surrounding it mattered. You know, and that was that was something that I didn't get until I came here. That to me, that's fascinating in the performing arts, right? Because when we think about rehearsal, when you rehearse the play, mm-hmm. that's not when your actors learn their lines, right? No, they learn their lines before. Yeah, because there's higher order work to be done in the production. So it sounds like being and being on time mm-hmm. in any performative <laughs> arts thing, right, is yeah. is super super important. It sounds fundamental. But it's super, super serious. Yeah. And you can, you know, I'm sure if you asked anybody, well, what are you supposed to do to be a good student? They say, well, you got to be on time. You got to be, you can say it. Mm-hmm. But the difference is whether you actually put it into your life. Put it into practice. Yeah. 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 So um, I, I'm interested in things that you might have taken with you from LCC to that BFA program or to your acting career in New York. Were there... Were there times in productions where you thought back to things that you learned here? Tell me a little bit about what you took with you from LCC, both both to Ann Arbor uh, and to New York City. Absolutely. Um, you know, aside from what we just spoke about is being on time, but I think the work ethic. Okay. You know, there's the, you know the it is there's a lot of actors out there, especially in New York, sort of dime a dozen. Okay. And you you have to just keep doing your job and your you know, kind of keep your blinders on a little bit mm-hmm. and, and not worry about all this other stuff that's happening because everybody's path is different. Okay. You know, my path from Boyne City to to Kansas, where I am now, yeah. has been a winding road. But the thing that, that, that has always driven me was my desire to do theater and to now later in my life to, to be an educator, to pass down what I was given that changed me. So... You mentioned something that's always fascinated me, and that is the incredibly competitive environment that is New York City in the arts, mm-hmm. right? So it it's often a dream of folks in the arts to go to New York, which is a, which is where there's such a hub of creativity, whether it's music or art or performing arts, dance and theater. Tell me a little bit about what the, those 20 years were like. You mentioned you did regional theater. You did, I think, off-Broadway. Mm-hmm, yeah. Tell me a little bit about that competitive nature. Oh, boy. Well, at the beginning, um, you, you know, you, you show up to all of these open calls, which if nobody has gone to an open call, what it means is you you stand in line with 400 other people at 4 in the morning on in Times Square, and you wait for the equity building to open. So you can walk up there to get a a time slot to come back four hours later to do a two-minute monologue to hopefully be selected to be seen by the casting director. Wow. I mean, it's 
it, you know, that, that's an open call situation. And it sounds incredibly cutthroat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, just because there are so many people. Right. Or you, you send out, you know, 50 headshots and resumes um, per week to just try to be seen by somebody. You know, the struggle before you get an agent is getting in the room. Wow. And then once you get in the room, you have to be so prepared and, and really show up ready to let them know what you can bring to the job. Um, and, and the final piece of that is if you hit every single thing right and you get in the door and you knock their socks off and they're like, wow, this person's really great, they still might not cast you. Wow. You know, because they're like, oh, you're really great, but you know what? You're a little bit too short or you're a little bit too fat or a little bit too – and, and God, you were great. And you just have to be like, okay, well, on to the next on one. On to the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's, such a, that's such an integral part of uh, our popular understanding of what uh, the arts in New York are like. It reminds me of just recently, you probably saw Tick, Tick, Boom, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, it takes place probably in the era that you were in, in New York and just shows what a, what a struggle it is for artists and particular theater people to – perform their craft. And you mentioned waiting in front of the equity office. That's another thing about your background. You're an mm -hmm. equity actor. Mm -hmm. You're also, I think, a member of Screen Actors Guild, right? So this is, mm -hmm. the, this is these are professional uh, performing arts unions that yes. you're a part yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was fortunate enough to get my equity card um, in the, I have to think, I think it was in 2000, or 2001, I can't, okay. I can't quite remember, mm -hmm. um, at the, the Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey. All right. Um, I had, my very first audition actually in New York was for uh, a Shakespeare Live, which is a touring company that toured Shakespeare around to high schools. And it was run through the Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey. And I got that job and made good connections and worked uh, in their non-equity company and was with them for a couple of years. And then they, that, that theater offered me my very first equity contract. And I say all that to say that, that a lot of what this industry is about and what the business is about are relationships. Right. You know, being the person who shows up on time, does good work, is a, is a good colleague with everyone. Because, you know, we work long hours, late hours, and everybody has so much on their plate. They, you know, directors and casting people, they want to bring someone in who's going to be a part of the team. Right. So, right. so proving that, um, being a valuable colleague is, is really important. So there's a, there's a touring musician that I love who said, you know, it, it, you have to be able to play, but in order to be a really successful bandmate, you have to be a good hang. You know, yeah. you have to be somebody who can like, <laughs> yeah. that, that is, you know, okay to be with in the green room mm -hmm. or on the bus, yeah. right? I mean, being a good person. Absolutely. And, you know, again, I'm really excited that these, these are things that our theater students can't really learn in a book. The process of putting on a performance mm -hmm. with you, and this will naturally come up when you're on break or eating or whatever, mm -hmm. that's how... That's probably how you learned all of this yeah. was from fellow actors who had been doing it for a long time. Right. Absolutely. All of those stories, those old stories, you know, I mean, actors love, love to tell stories. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. What's well, a storytelling craft? Yeah. So one other piece of your career that I find super fascinating. I mean, we already check all the boxes. I love theater. I love I love um, uh, Shakespeare. I love LCC. But near and dear to my heart. You're a community college faculty member now. You yes. came back. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about your studio and your teaching uh, at, in Kansas. I, 
I feel really blessed to be a part of Independence Community College. Um, it is, it's an incredibly uh, supportive town and community. Mm-hmm. Where is it located? It's is it in, in Independence, Independence, Kansas. Kansas. Yeah. So okay. Southeast Kansas. So like LCC, your, your college's name is the city name yeah. plus community <laughs> college. Great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I feel really, um, the community that I, that I live in and get to work in and be a part of is, um, has been a really great change. You know, imagine moving from New York City to uh, Independence, Kansas, which have the, has a population of, I think, around 9,000. It does. Yeah. So it, that shift, that dynamic change um, was, was dramatic, uh, but it's been, it's been so great. Well, and here's one thing, because uh, I am just a raving fan of community colleges. And what I can tell you about where you are is you are probably the cultural hub of that town, right? If you're going to see live theater, mm-hmm. you're going to see it at Independence Community College, right? Yep. You're going to see it there. You're going to see it in our area high schools. Okay, good. The, the high schools in, in Southeast Kansas, I was shocked at the, at the level and the quality of work that, that a lot of these um, high school directors have, have put in place. Mm-hmm. It's really something special. Um, and so I, I feel really honored to be able to not only uh, sort of take some of those high school students once they've graduated, if they want to come to ICC and be a part of our program, mm-hmm. but I get to go out and watch their productions and their performance and get into their classrooms also. Um, so I, I do a lot of outreach. It's, you know, it's recruiting, right? It's it all part is, of what but, you do. But, but it's really important. Absolutely. Well, and that, and that is my background. So I did all four years of high school theater, was president of the theater troupe, and uh, it was a meaningful, transformative experience mm-hmm. for me uh, to, to do productions both on the technical side and, and as an actor, mo- mostly as, as, uh, as a tech. So it sounds like this is a really rewarding uh, destination for you after this a great career. Uh, the, the, where you are now is as a faculty member uh, leading a theater at a community college that really adds a lot to the community where you are. It, it, it's really rewarding. I, I feel like it's my way of giving back. That's too and, cool. And that's where I feel like it ties in here to LCC because, I, as I said, I got, I got my start here and it changed my life. And now I'm at a place giving back um, a lot of those valuable lessons that I learned along that journey. Well, we're really lucky to have you working with our students. I can't wait to see uh, Romeo and Juliet. It's one of my favorite plays. And I have had such a wonderful time visiting with you today. Yeah, it's been really fun. Thank you. Oh, no problem, Paul. Thanks a lot. LCC Alumni Stories is recorded and produced by Steve Robinson on LCC's downtown campus. The soundtrack, Who Told You, is licensed through DeWolf Music and was performed by Ian McCanty. Thanks for listening. Learn more about what our alumni have been up to at lccconnect.org. And if you're an LCC alum and want to share your story, send me an email at steve underscore robinson at lcc.edu. Until next time, keep learning. This is LCC Connect on WLNZ 89.7 FM. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ studio located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us. 
by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.